Here we go. Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Welcome, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing? I am a little sore, Bruce. I played my first. I haven't played a game. I've coached hundreds and hundreds of games in the last decade, and I've coached hundreds and hundreds of practice in minor hockey. I haven't played a game of organized hockey, though, in about 25 years. So I'm 56, and last night, Bruce, I laced them up and played on my wife's uh, mixed hockey team. Uh-huh. And I am, <laughs> I am sore. <laughs> it feels like my butt has been trampled by a rhino. Uh-huh. It's, <laughs> I don't know what those muscles are, but I obviously haven't been using them. <laughs> yeah, right, though, I just absolutely had, I had so much fun. Nothing like co-ed sports to get you pushing the limits either, eh? <laughs> That's right. Well, but my wife was my, we were defensive partners. Oh, yeah. And I. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you got to you gotta make sure you got to take care of business so you can't get scored on. Uh, so, uh, you know, we had a pretty good coursey, Bruce. That's all I'm saying. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> That's all that matters, right? That's all that matters, yeah. <laughs> That's all time. Uh, <laughs> But I want to, I do want to stress like the real joy of hockey is playing the game. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, my wife is, she's 45. She's, um, she's, uh, Vietnamese Canadian. She was born in Vietnam, came here when she was one. She didn't grow up skating or playing hockey. She took up hockey this year and, and alerted to play. Oh, really? Okay. Cause we've been, she's been watching our kids play for the last decade and she's yeah. just been having a riot. So Good it stuff. really, really is, uh, such a great thing to, to play the game. And, and, um, uh, and although I, you know, I've been coaching so much, you kind of forget that. And I also, it really struck home again to me how hard it is to play hockey, how incredibly fast that, even at this low level of hockey, how incredibly fast the game seems to go, especially when you hit out of breath after about five seconds. Right so today, Bruce, we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about the ongoing aftermath of the James Neal and uh, Milan Lucic trade and the great upset it's caused in Calgary. Um, the ongoing upset it's caused in Calgary, which is can only warm the hearts, warm the cockles of the heart of an Oilers fan. What are the cockles of a heart, Bruce? Mm-hmm. You know what the cockles are? Uh, well, they're the warm part. <laughs> Apparently they can get cold. They're pretty cold in Calgary. They have cold yeah. cockles. Oh, do they? The Calgary cold cockles acquired <laughs> Milan Lucic today. And um, we'll talk about the Neil and Neil season in Calgary. I went over a complete, like I read every Calgary Herald and Calgary Sun story um, on James Neal. And I don't have a lot to summarize from that. We'll go over that. We'll talk about um, some of the other signings Holland has made. And then we'll talk about the one last, which I call a big move um, that he has to make this summer regarding uh, Yesipuli Yarby. So we'll start with, uh, we'll start with James Neal. So I, I read over all these stories and I kind of posted the 4,000 word summary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a great thing about the internet. There's no shortage of pixels and you can just, you know, you just, if you think, if you're a really hardcore fan, like the cult of hockey listeners are hardcore fans, obviously they, could, they some of them are interested in reading like 4,000 words on James Neal's last season in Calgary. The, I'll give you the, the takeaways though, Bruce. Sure. Uh, everyone, Obviously, everyone knows he was terrible mm-hmm. and had a really bad season. And yep. um, 
there's a couple key points. I think he was a, he, I, he likes to play right wing. He likes to play on his off wing. He played there with Evgeny Malkin in Pittsburgh, I understand. He had by far the most success he's ever had as a hockey player, I believe, with Evgeny Malkin. Of course, that's in Pittsburgh. Good. He had his three best years in Pittsburgh. Yeah. And he was on his off wing. Now, Malkin is a left shot center, I believe. Yes. He said he likes to play with a left shot center while he's playing on his off wing. Right. He seems to think that's what works best for him. And of course, this is excellent news for the Oilers because they have three pretty strong left shot centermen. And if that's what he prefers, mm-hmm. he might not get his first choice. He might not even get his, but he's going to get at least Nugent Hopkins as his center. And he might get dry sidle. You know, and when you hear about Malkin being uh, the player that wor- really worked with him in Pittsburgh, who does that make you think of in Edmonton, Bruce, that might work with James Neal? Well, you know, Leon reminds me at times of Malkin a little bit. Bingo, yeah. Bingo. Yeah, I mean, there are, they, they do have things in common for sure. Now, uh, Malkin didn't score as much as Leon last year, did he? Uh, he had one. You know, Malkin was the last guy before Leon to score 50 goals and 50 assists in the same year, and that was 2011 and 12. And seven years it took for someone else to do it, and that was Leon. So... I think, uh, uh, you know, Malkin, I think that was his career high, and it may well prove to be Leon's career high. Who knows? But uh, I'll be surprised if he doesn't hit 100 points again on more than one occasion. Malkin, um, again, is like he, he's not obviously fast, but he's like Dreisaitl, fast, big fast, right? Like a big fast player. Not obviously speedy, but gets obviously gets around the ice pretty well. So, So there is that that kind of resonated with me a little bit as I was thinking about that. Now they didn't in Calgary, they didn't put him on his off wing. They put him on the left wing. And he, you know, he, he said, I just heard him on orders now a couple of days ago. He's fine, whatever wing, blah, blah, blah. But we know that whatever they say in public and whatever they really think is not the same thing with the players. They can't say what they really think in public about their job. I mean, who does, uh, <laughs> who does do that? But um, so I think that, that that's one good thing. The other thing that hit Harbour is, okay, he, he wasn't on his right wing. He wasn't playing well. And, and people, the fans turned against him. The media turned against him. Everyone turned against James Neal in the end. They love James Neal in the end about as much as we like Patrick O'Sullivan and his one uh, season in Edmonton. It's a feeling I got. Like, honestly, that's how much they love James Neal. In, they, they see him as the equivalent of Patrick O'Sullivan, kind of a soft outside player who doesn't get in the game, can't make a play. Mm-hmm. So that's a... That's a uh, <laughs> That's a sobering in terms of analyzing this trade. The one thing I would say, though, Bruce, is Neil got sick halfway through the year. He missed a, a game or two. He got sick, and then he got injured, and he missed five weeks. Right. He got he lost some teeth in a play. Yes. And he never, I, as far as I can tell, like the, the NHL, they they're not honest about injuries. Mm-hmm. Say what's happened. He had he was out five weeks with an upper body injury. Sounded to me, Bruce. I don't know. I'm just spec. This is total speculation. Concussion. Like if he gets right. a blow to the head, loses teeth. Maybe no, I haven't been watching that game, and that was a wicked blast that he took. It was. Was it a shot or? A- uh, it was a puck, as I recall, and it just was. It just was a wallop right in the mouth. Did that concussion a puck to the head? I guess. I'm more remembering aftermath of it than uh, the the actual event, but I do remember thinking, "Oh, that's a real bad one," and and. Uh, uh, it turned out to be, and I'm Maybe not. That's all it was with a mouth injury that he got so bad. I don't. I, I don't. He know. tried to come back from it, and and uh, 
got hurt again after or just couldn't play through it or, or what the deal was because I don't follow Calgary, you know. <laughs> but uh, I do know he was out soon soon thereafter, and I just assumed it was the same uh, uh, the same injury, but uh, it was nasty. And so he, he didn't come back, and he was, he was benched early in the season for a period, mm-hmm. and then he was benched for a full game in the playoffs. Um, the last game. The last game. And uh, everyone, everyone was like, it's well-deserving at that point. Like there were, he had no offense, but you know what? Coming back from injury, you're out five weeks. Um, you're already struggling. You're out five weeks. What's the likelihood you're going to come back in after that late in the season? And, you know, I guess some players, sure. They can do that. Uh, but a marginal player, like someone who's struggling already. So I'm not, I, based on how much they, they really were down on the player, that should be sobering for any Oilers fan, but I think that there's a couple. There is that mitigating circumstance of injury and and the the notion that a player might be able to, if he's if he's injury free or doesn't have a major injury, he could have a better year. And I think that's um, cause for hope. Yeah. Well, he was struggling badly before the injury, of course. I mean, I'm I'm just looking at splits right now. He had two goals in October. Uh, 13 games, one in November, 13 games, one in December, 13 games, one in January, 10 games, zero in February, six games, which is when he got hurt. And then he got one goal in each of March and April. I mean, that was that was his season. He was consistent, Bruce. Yeah, very consistent. <laughs> he, he did he did max out at three assists one month. You know, I mean, he just well, he just had a horrible year. I mean, this was a 20-goal scorer who couldn't get 20 points. It just is mind-boggling that he fell off. The cliff that hard but a bunch of things went wrong possibly playing on the wrong wing possibly i mean i have an idea calgary just didn't really know what they were signing when they signed the guy because they wound up what wound up happening was uh, Elias lindholm wound up getting a look at left wing on that first line with uh with goodrow and monaghan and they clicked and all of a sudden there was no place for james neal to play the second line was kind of set with uh, uh with kachuk on the one side uh, and so he wound up in the bottom six. And I mean, this is where the trade, I think this trade works well for Calgary is that I think Lucic is, uh, is better served to be a bottom six player, which is more what Calgary needs at this point. And Edmonton clearly badly needs uh, top six players. And they're gambling that Neil can return his form given the opportunity. And there's a hundred percent chance he'll be given the opportunity. I think it's fair to say at this point, unless Lucic can raise the, the, his defensive effort and uh, focus and uh, effectiveness, that he's a bottom three, <laughs> bottom three player. Hey, Bruce, you mentioned like the Calgary didn't know what he was getting, and I had a when they signed Neil, and I had a sobering moment because I, 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 when I was searching all these stories on, on James Neil, I found one that I had written, uh-huh. and, and back in July. 2018, I, I, I wrote about the Neil contract as one of the, the worst signings of that summer. Mm-hmm. And essentially, he had had um, his, his peak seasons all came, um, uh, you know, the big mistake when you sign a UFA is you're signing a player based on his peak performance when he's heading out of those peak years, you know, when he's heading into his 30s and out of those peak years. And, and Neil's peak years were 2011 to 15. Mm-hmm. And that's when he was about a point a game player from 2011 to 15. Right. Since then, he's been 0. 0.6 per game. That's all. That's what he's been 
6.6 per game. So he's already just, he's not peak. He's been near peak for the last, for the, he had been near peak for about four years and or three years. And then last year, obviously he was off peak. So it shouldn't, it, you know, it was even at the time of the signing, when I was looking at it, at least, and I think many other people, they were, they, they were kind of thinking, what the heck is, what the heck is Calgary doing there? So Bruce, um, let's move on to, uh, the most, perhaps the most, uh, well, the most caustic analysis of the Milan Lucic for James Neal trade came from Ryan Lambert of Yahoo Sports. Um, <laughs> now, Ryan, he's pretty sharp tongued, uh, but you, I have it's it's one of the great things I think about hockey uh, writing is that it's much more wide open now, and you have all these people who who wouldn't you know, they, they weren't covering the team. They're not close to the team and they just comment away and they make some pretty, uh, they can be pretty acerbic, but also pretty interesting. And here's, uh, here's his take. Here's right. What Ryan Lambert wrote about this trade. Even with the acknowledgement that the James Neal situation had become untenable in Calgary, the decision to trade him for Milan Lucic of all people in the league should be considered a fireable offense. And I'm just for emphasis, I'll repeat that should be considered a fireable offense. There were other routes out of this disaster of a deal. He's talking about the James Neal, that taking on one of the two or three worst contracts in the league. This was Brad Tree Living deciding to fix the hole he accidentally put in the dining room hall wall by driving a bulldozer through the house. (laughs) (laughs) Nuke it it from Orban. Yeah, well, he's not missing words there, is he? Yeah, that's great. It's great. Like, I don't, it's, you know what? Like, I know people, fans can get upset. And of course, the people in the business, like the insiders, they're, they're probably thinking, what is, who is this guy? Like, how could he dare say this thing? Like, has he ever laced him up? I'll take him out and get him in the corner. I'll show him what's what. You know, but it's part, I just think, you know, sports is, it's entertainment. It's supposed to be fun. And, and I think sometimes hyperbolic commentary. And I, like, okay, let me ask you, do you think that, do you think that that trade was a firing offense? Oh, well, I think it goes on tree living's track record, which is pretty good. So yeah. I don't think it can a guy over one move, no matter how questionable it is. Uh, it is kind of questionable at the same time. Uh, I have a friend, you know, um, uh, a teacher who's a big flames fan. And he laid it out to me a little bit different. He says, if after this season, the Oilers choose to buy out Neil, it would be a $1.92 million cap hit for six years. On top of that, they'll be paying $750,000 of Lucha's salary for four years, at least of his cap hit, plus the five seven five of Neil for this year. So if the Oilers buy out Neil next year, for the next seven years from now, Edmonton's cap hit will be $20.27 million. Calgary's cap hit on this deal for the next seven years is $21 million, which is four years of Lucic at 5.25. In this scenario, Edmonton will also need to pay a roster position for those three years from year two for minimum 700k to replace Neil, increasing Edmonton's total cap hit to 22.37 million minimum. Therefore, Calgary Calgary ends up paying less overall at uh, less cap hit overall, even if the Oilers were to buy out Neil and to make space that way. So it does. Just, just wait, let me see if I get this. You're, he's saying that it, next next summer, 
Oilers buy out Neil next summer. Calgary keeps Lucic because of the. Oh, so what's his what's his point? His point. The Oilers is, buy out Neil and Calgary keeps Lucic. What? Edmonton will still be paying more in total cap hit uh, related to those contracts than Calgary will in the next four years. Okay, it's, so it's all about that retention of seven fifty, which of course works in Calgary's favor and against Edmonton. So that that uh, makes the uh, uh, the Neil hit a little. Little price here. Anyway, it's it's numbers, but I mean it's all about numbers. These are the kind of nuts and bolts details that they would have been scrapping over when they were working out this trade. And, and Calgary has lined up some of those uh, uh, some of those uh, uh, tokens a little bit in their favor. And it's all about Neil needs to outperform Lucic for the Oilers to win the trade. I think that's the bottom. And, and he's so he's kind of negating like the one argument we've heard from Oilers fans is well. Uh, and from the Oilers, maybe even is that like, well, Lucic, con- Lucic con- contract was not, you can't buy that out. But the Neil contract, the ben- a huge benefit of this trade is, is Neil's contract is much more buyoutable. And his point is, actually, when you look at it, if, mm-hmm. if, if they're not buying out Lucic and Neil continues on, um, mm-hmm. that doesn't necessarily play out. Um, right. Even if the Oilers buy out Neil, they're still winding up paying more cap hit than Calgary. If the Oilers keep Neil... Uh, his cap hit is 1.25 million more than Lucic's with you know with the 750k exchange. So Neil needs to outplay Lucic. However you slice it, there's several ways to slice it. Buy out Lucic. Mm-hmm. Orders have to pay part of that. Then is that part of on the orders? Uh, yeah, that, that 12.5 percentage. Okay, mm-hmm. would be on the orders cap. That's how I understand it. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. Well, that's a good point. It's, anyway, it's, yeah, he, he's gone into the nuts and bolts, but like I say, that would have been, they would have been hashing those kind of details out when they came up with this 12.5%. You think, well, how did they refine it to that amount? And that's probably where they were. So we know from his past dealings that Brad Tree Leaving's no dummy, right, Bruce? We do know that. So we can assume we know that he's stupid. And I'm, I'm concluding that um, Ken Holland is also no dummy. And I, I think, you know, moving Lucic, I mean, the, the thought all along was uh, it was such a, <clears throat> that stupid contract was such a crushing thing that the whole fan base would be relieved to see the guy gone. And I think we're seeing that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Again, before this deal, I had the Lucic contract rated as the, since the 2013, um, or excuse me, Jan, is it? January, yeah, January 2013 CBA came in place, the new CBA, which is so much more restrictive than any other CBA. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I have the Lucic contract rated as the fourth worst contract handed out in that time after Dave Boland, David Clarkson, and Louis Erickson. Lucic is number four on the list. And the James Neal contract was the 21st worst contract on the list. So it's not like we're getting a good contract here. And the David Clarkson contract is now being reacquired by Toronto to help them with their salary cap, which has blown the top right off of my head and trying to figure out how this damn cap works. Because I am in the same <laughs> boat. I've had three explanations. I would and... pay money to hear these. <laughs> That's one thing. Like, okay, I'll give you. You think, the, you think that paragraph I just read you was complicated? Read one of those articles. Best is probably by James Myrtle at The Athletic, but it's, boy, is it ever. Okay, I'll have a look. Stuff. Cool. I, like, I, I oh. have recently subscribed to The Athletic because there's good articles like that. They, they can describe the LTIR contracts and all of the, I just. Bog, boggles the mind that that contract could somehow be of value to a team, but Toronto went out of their way to go. 
I hear they're going to hire the Toronto capologist to solve the problem of nuclear fusion. So, well, they could put him on the national debt. He can make David Clarkson into an asset. Man, he's got something going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounds like the subprime mortgage scam. Mm-hmm. All right, Bruce. Uh, enough analogies and metaphors. Um, so, Calgary, to get the temperature of the Calgary sports radio scene, I uh, listened to their morning show. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the Boomer and Warner uh, morning show. Uh, oh, yeah. Hear what they were saying, because uh, I wanted to see, you know, what are they saying about it in, in Calgary? Uh, how, are, you know, um, what's their sense of how uh, that that the deal, the Lucic for Neil deal went down? And in two words, not well. In five words, not freaking well at all. They are They are trying to make sense of it, Bruce. They are trying, trying, trying to make sense of it. And and it's so at one point, one of the guys on the show goes on this uh, big, you know, anti James Neal riff. Um, and he's going on and on about how, you know, people were sick of James Neal at the end of the year. But then this, uh, then Boomer, Dean, Dean, uh, Mulberg, Dean Boomer Mulberg cuts in. And just in this kind of exasperated voice, he says, I don't see it. I just, I, don't get it. <laughs> so this is starting from a, a low, low baseline of they think James Neal absolutely sucks. And that, uh, even with that... They, starting from there, they hate the trade. Yeah, and it's because... Here's why. Here's my best theory on this. Like, they, <laughs> they, they are just... This trade has caused massive cognitive dissonance in the Calgary fan base. Fan base. They cannot process... On some level, like, they're just back and forth and all over the place on this. They cannot process it. And it's because, A, they are so used to ridiculing every move Peter Shirelli made. They're so used to laughing at that, right? Like at the at the Manning trade and the uh, Spooner, Ryan Strong oh, yeah, trade and the Lucci sign and the Taylor Hall trade. They're just used to, all over the NHL, people are used to yucking it up, okay? And with Lucci, they're just used to, in Calgary, they just like, oh, ha, ha, what a, look at that boat anchor. You know, look at this player. And suddenly two things happen. That boat anchor is on your team. He's your problem now. And also it looks like the Oilers GM, maybe, maybe not, but it looks like the Oilers GM got the best of your GM in a trade. And that hurts people's heads so much that they can't really, they can't really process it, Bruce. I don't think like they're just, they're all over the place. So it's a, you're saying in your post that Calgary, Tree Living agreed to reinstate the no movement clause. I, I hadn't heard that. They, he did indeed. And that's, so they're trying to get their heads around. And this is my, <laughs> the, the best comment of all. Okay. This was from Matty Rose. He's a sports broadcaster for Sportsnet 960 in Calgary. So, so Boomer's speculating, well, you know, they agreed to, to um, bring the no movement clause back, but I bet you they made a side deal. You know, Lucic is from Vancouver. He probably wants to go to the West Coast. So when the ex- Seattle expansion draft comes up, Boomer's theory is that the side deal will kick in and Lucic will waive the, the no movement clause so he'll be available in expansion to Seattle and he won't have to be protected in Calgary over, say, Sam Bennett or someone like that, right? Mm-hmm. So so this is um, 
uh, boomers hope may, maybe it's realistic, maybe it's wishful thinking. So then Maddie Rose cuts in and he says, I can see Seattle having some interest in a guy like that, helping them get up to the salary cap floor, depending on how they would attack the expansion draft. I think there would be some serious interest there. <laughs> and when Maddie Rose said that, I just laughed out loud for some some serious interest in like two, like it's two years from now, correct? Uh, the, the expansion draft. Lucic two years from now and a team having serious interest in him at $6 million a year. Like, first of all, this idea that the expansion team is going to be trying to take on salary to get up to the expansion. Like they'll take on salary. Yes. With Milan Lucic, but you're also going to be throwing in a first or first round draft pick for them to take on that salary. Like no one gets to the cap floor just because they're nice guys. And the idea, I like the notion. So, but the, the thing that I like best about this, Bruce, is I don't have to worry about this anymore. As an Oilers fan, the bet, one of the best things about this trade was getting out from under, not only, not only like move on Lucic and, and how you played on the ice, and your contract, but getting out from under that no movement clause in the expansion draft is a huge relief to me. And I'm glad they got it. They're going to be talking about that on Calgary radio for the next two years, you know, speculating whether this little secret deal is in place and wondering. So have fun with that guys. Have fun with that Flames fans. <laughs> now, well, even if the salary cap, it turns out to be a wash as my friend Ian suggests, um, uh, getting out from that, can you imagine, I mean, Oilers potentially losing, say, Tyler Benson in the expansion draft because they're forced to protect Milan Lucic, right? It's a long time for now. And so that's players gone. like Benson that's could, gone. yeah. That's gone. And that that is, a, you know, that, that's better. good riddance to that aspect of uh, of the Lucic deal was having to support. I mean, they, are, they already did protect him in the Vegas expansion, right? Uh, and and we don't even know, like, you know, you might think, well, the orders don't have that many players, you know, that they'd want to protect, but that's a long time from now. Two years. They, now. That, that's, so there's all these players rising up. So I think, and I, I'm not sure exactly which draft year it kicks in and it's different for every player. Right. I don't like, is, is it possible? Like Bouchard, could he be available? I'm uncertain. I have to take a, I haven't looked at this yet, but. Two year last, I think there's identical terms. And last year, the, Anybody who was still on their ELC was basically exempt. So two-year pros uh, were covered, and then the, th the guys in their third year weren't. And so Bouchard will have had two years of his contract by then, as will Samorkov, as will uh, the other guys turning pro this fall, uh, McLeod, Maximov, and so on. So those guys should all be covered off by uh, uh, the young player, uh, young pro aspect of the, uh, of the deal, as, as I understand it. So Edmonton's safe there. But guys that started playing rookie hockey last year, like Tyler Benson, he'll be at the end of his ELC when that expansion takes place, and he'll be either have to be protected or he'll have to be exposed. So there's a so again, there's a number of players who could come up and impress by them, like Marodi, Benson. Sure. Um, uh, Jesse Pugliarvi, not out of the question. And they're going to lose one. They're going to lose one no matter what. It's not like now we can protect that guy and we're safe from it. I mean, no matter what, you're going to lose one. But you don't want to lose that marginal player who's like better than the rest of the pack, just because you haven't got room for him. And yeah. uh, so Lucic out of the pit. I mean, Lucic is is one. Well, you have to protect him, and he's clearly below the rest of the pack by some margin. So, and what else it would do, Bruce, is if you have to protect a forward who's marginal, 
then you're probably not going to go with the protecting um, four on four, uh, four on four, which means mm -hmm. the defenseman's more vulnerable. So you might lose Caleb Jones, right? Like that's Actually. if you have to protect. So, <laughs> okay, Calgary, have fun with that. Like I said, mm -hmm. Bruce, let's uh, move along. Let's talk sure. about some of um, Ken Holland's signings this summer. So there's an interesting website. I'm not sure if it's one person or more evolving wild. And what they do sure. is they use a series of statistics and uh, salary cap data. They look into the past, evaluate based on statistical performance, what players got paid in the past on their contracts. And then they set, if every player in the NHL was a free agent today, what would be the most likely term he would get? And what would be the most likely contract he would get in a new deal? So they're trying to say, what is a reasonable deal heading into this free agency period uh, for any free agent or RFA in terms of what they're going to get? What, what are they going to get in term and what are they going to get in salary? And, you know, they have, I'm not saying their system is perfect, but it's a, it's an interesting system. They put a lot of work into it. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not, this isn't just, you know, back of the envelope stuff. This is, they've taken a really deep dive and they're trying to solve mm -hmm. this problem. I'm sure they'll get better at it, Bruce, as they go along. Like they'll get, they'll, they'll get become, uh, better every year that they do this. Um, but so let's take a look at what was projected in terms of order signings and what happened. Sure. And I'll just, uh, I'll read them out to you and then we'll, I'll get your comment on it. I'll read the, the four, uh, the four most obvious. No, they don't do the goalie. So I can't rate Mike Smith signing, which is the most controversial signing, I think actually of them all, but we can't deal with that one in this context. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the four are Marcus Granlin, they project, they projected him signing a two-year term at $2.2 million. Two years at two, the orders got him at one year at $1.3 million. Jujar Kaira, two years at $1.1 million. The orders got him at two years at $1.2 million. Alex Chason, they projected three years at $3.1 million. The orders got him at two years at $2.1 million. And Josh Archibald, they project, predicted at three years, $1.6 million. The Oilers got him at one year, one million. What do you say, Bruce? I say there's some pretty sharp business going on there. Now, I mean, granted, the 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 market on the bottom end players is tightening up. I think yes. teams are so much paying the uh, big bucks to their first and even second tier players that uh, the guys at the bottom of the roster are just happy to be there, and a lot of them are signing in that million dollar range. I mean. Marcus uh, Granlin, for example, uh, Vancouver uh, had rights to extend that guy. Uh, he was making, I think, 1.4 and a bit last year. Uh, so not much different uh, than what uh, Edmonton got him for. Uh, but I think they may have been concerned about uh, him taking them to arbitration. They decided just not to qualify him at all. And Edmonton got him just a little bit below, about 10% below what he made last year. But that's different from the guy getting a 50% raise, which is often what you see at a guy at that point in his career as Evolving Wild projected. So a uh, uh, sharp bit of business there. Uh, the only marginal downside is he is an unrestricted free agent at the end of this one year. So uh, Edmonton will essentially have to con con offer full value uh, to keep him around uh, in future should he pan out. But that's the kind of gamble that Holland has made repeatedly. He's picked up player after player it's going to be one year deal ufa at the end of it yeah that's been his mo he's been 
I think he's been done a good job of uh, fishing at that end of the uh, at that end of the lake, mm-hmm. where there's um, these cheaper players, and you know we'll see how they turn out. So, you know, obviously not all of them, but he's made a, a lot of bets. There's there's quite a bit of competition now actually for the bottom six. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's probably nine players who realistically have a shot at um, oh, those, sure. those six jobs. And uh, so that's, that's maybe even 10. So that's, that's good news for the Oilers. They, they have that going on. Um, let me just, I have the lineup chart here. I'll just uh, quickly. So, um, so in terms of, of that group of players um, who I have battling it out there, there's Nygaard, Marodi, Archibald, Grandlin, Kara, Chason, Gambardella, Haas, Gagne, Josh Curry, Colby Cave, uh, Patrick Russell and Brodziak. Yeah, like Yurko is also in the mix. Yamamoto yeah. might be. So the, there's just lots there. That is a ton of competition for six jobs. And that's assuming Tyler Benson and Zach Cassian are on the second line and James Neal's on the first line. So right. uh, the orders are still um, a, a top line forward short. At least. Uh, I think it's safe to say. At least. And, and that's, that's, that's very fair to say. So let's move on, Bruce to the last possible big move. Well, Archibald, oh, sorry, we're going to talk about about each guy, but Archibald, I really like that signing. Okay, go ahead, sure. He did get a raise. Yeah. Uh, He was making like 750 or something. But I think, again, there was an issue where possible arbitration in Arizona, I'm surprised they didn't qualify the guy based on on his numbers and his apparent uh, good performance. Uh, I mean, this is a guy who scored 12 goals, which would have ranked him uh, sixth on the Oilers last year. Not a top six player, uh, but he was a, a small plus player in Arizona, so he wasn't getting crushed out there. Whatever else you can take away from plus minus, you can take that, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a guy who uh, uh, played with a lot of uh, physicality, 160 hits, and he killed penalties. So, you know, that's a, that's a kind of a versatile bottom six winger that uh, – uh, and still improving, you know, like he's last year, he played 68 games at the age of uh, 26 and he more than doubled his career total. So he's a, still an emerging player, but we should be getting this guy somewhere near the top of his form for a million bucks. That's a real good bet. I mean, if he doesn't pay off, they, they can waive him and either some other team picks him up or they can bury his entire salary in the AHL. So. And Jason? Well, there's a couple of ways of looking at it. I, I'm I'm reading a lot of hate for the Chase on extension. Twenty two Yeah, I am. Twenty two goal scorer, two point one five million. But his track record suggests that that's that may be a career season that he doesn't come close to duplicating. I think um, that's a fair assessment. And, and some saying, Well, the Andre Secura money, why save three million on Secura if you're just gonna give it away to, to uh Alex Chase on? To me they gave the Toby Reader money. Alex Jason and you know I mean they 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 signed a a a UFA forward for two million in the case of Reader just over in the case of uh, Jason and another way of looking at it is they gave Jason a 1.5 million dollar raise off of last year but they can replace him with a NHL minimum guy at the bottom six and the net cost is not much different than Toby Reader plus Chase on last year. Like it's however you want to slice it. I mean, he got 22 more goals than Toby Reader got. Yeah, the Secra buyout was 
controversial. I mean, and, and I'm, I've got mixed feelings about it. I'm kind of up and down. I was against it happening. You know, it, 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 as you see things play out and you see how tied up against the Oilers cap are, you can see why they did it to give them room to maneuver. And, and they didn't know how things are going to go in free agency. Like, like they might have been thinking they were going to spend more money. Like they, they just needed to give themselves that opportunity. And, and in the end, we do see them doing a, a lot of moves, including the Lucic trade, which involves some cap space. And if you if they didn't do the Sacra thing, did, you know, do they have that ability to maneuver on everything um, and get right. make the Lucic trade? Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. You know, they look look they they look like they do have some cap space right now, a little bit more, maybe a million five, something like that left over um, to 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 spend on another forward. So the Sacra, these are complex things. And what I'm left with on that is though, like I think that they needed to make. A spot for one of these young demons yeah, to make. That's a huge part if of it. If you're going to have proper development at both the NHL and the AHL level, you've got to trust your system has actually, when, when you have an override player like Caleb Jones or William Lagesson, you've got to trust that and, and go with it and move them up, give them a, that NHL opportunity and expect one of those two guys is going to seize that opportunity and then make room in the AHL Mm-hmm. for Evan Bouchard and Sam Marukov and exactly. all those players down there to get some ice time. If you don't move Sakura, you're just, it's all clogged up and it doesn't work. So how I think you, that's actually the strongest argument for the Sakura buyout personally. How would you like to be a part of this conversation? Hey, Caleb. Hey, Ethan. Uh, hey, William. We know you guys have been doing well down there in the AHL and developing, but we're going to go with the exact same six defensemen that we've gone with the last two years where we missed the playoffs by 20 points both years because they were good for us three years ago. I mean, at a certain point, you have to, you know, fish fish or cut bait. And, uh, I mean, I like Andre Sakura and I wish him well, but uh, his days of being a $5.5 million defenseman are over uh, unless I badly miss my bet. And they, they're they basically wagering his days as a $2.5 million defenseman are over because they are prepared to eat $3 million and create that room. But if they yeah, if they do that and they bring up uh, Caleb Jones, they've created, uh, you know, a cap space of, uh, of uh, over $2 million with that move. And maybe they're, you know, are they even worse off? I mean, they're going to miss uh, Sekera, but I mean, We've been missing Secker already for the last two years, right? Yeah, is Jones Jones better than Secker right now? By the end of this next season? Could well be so. It'll be interesting to to, uh, mark the seasons that they respectively have. And I think in terms of rating the Secker buyout, that's really the big question. Like, I mean, aside from everything else, you can't give Caleb Jones a shot if he'd bring back the same six guys. So they, they had to move one of them. I guess you could say, well, they should have moved Russell, but he had, that's really hard to do because he's got a 10-team a uh, list that he can be traded to, just just that. And they can move Benning, but Benning's a young guy. Do you really want to move him? Maybe he's going to get better. And So I really think the question is, like, is Jones better than Sekera? And I think it's a good bet Caleb Jones is going to be better than Sekera this year and for many years to come, obviously. And if you don't give him that opportunity, you're kind of screwing both Jones and the and the development paths of all kinds of other players. But Pulley RV Bruce, um, what do you think? The last big move is with Pulley RV. What do you what do you think is going to happen? If you had to make a prediction, what's your what's your prediction for 
the most likely occurrence? Well, I think they make they make them a contract offer, but it's going to be a pretty low ball offer. Like a million a year. Million. To, I'm putting them in the range between Archibald and Grandland, one to one point three million, okay. somewhere in there. Uh, they can pay him that if he makes the team and someone else gets cut. You know, it'll cost him a little bit, but the, it should be comfortably accomplishable within the cap. They can't pay him big bucks, and he hasn't earned big bucks. I mean, let's face it. He's nowhere close to And I remember Neil Yakupov, after his entry-level contract, with his pedigree of a former first overall, they gave him a two-year extension of $2.5 million per uh, with Pugliarvi. Uh, he's not in that range, and I honestly don't see a one anything but a one-year deal working for either side. You know, here, prove yourself, and then we'll talk. Do you think that's the most likely thing, that he's going to be back? Then we'll move you. No, I think that's the offer they make, but I also think they're actively looking to move him along, and I think the team that's acquiring him is probably also looking at saying, well, if we can move out a, a 2 or $3 million player and get this guy back, we're going to be saving ourselves uh, on the cap. So maybe there's a guy, maybe, you know, Pavel Bushnevich is a guy whose name has come up who's uh, a little older. He's just coming out of his own ELC. He's uh, He hasn't been extended as yet, so who knows what, you know, there would obviously have to be some negotiating behind the scenes. He hasn't got the draft pedigree, but he's got NHL pedigree now. He scored 21 goals last year. And so maybe there's a deal that can be structured around that kind of player with a team like New York Rangers that have just taken on huge uh, salary commitments to Artemi Panarin and Jacob Truba, just to name two, that have really sort of upset the apple cart in terms of what they can afford lower down. Another guy I know you like, Brendan Lemieux. I mean, same thing. Maybe that's the basis of some kind of a, of a deal. Rather than signing the guy to a to an offer sheet, trade for his rights and sign him as your own guy. And Yeah, I think... Well, the RV is a, a trading chip. Now, you might think Lemieux's not enough. You might think Bushnevich is too much. Maybe there's, you know, a pick or some other prospect or some other consideration can be thrown in the deal one way or the other to balance the scales. I think that is the most, the most likely move is the most straightforward one. The most straightforward one is a trade. And the most likely trade that will work for both teams is the Oilers getting a better player than Pugliarvi is worth right now by helping a team relieve cap trouble. So that's the Bushnevich kind of deal where you're dealing with, there's about six, seven, eight teams that are in real cap cap trouble. They've got some real issues. Now they're going to not like having to give up a player, but they might console themselves when they get Pugliarvi for a million, you know, or a million one. So that is, I think, the most likely scenario followed by him returning to Edmonton. Mm -hmm. The one that I actually like the best, I mean, I'd like to see that trade. That would that would be fine, right? If they can get a better player right now than like a, a Bushnevich or I think Brendan Lemieux, that kind of player for probably RV, I'm not going to complain. The one I'd like to see the most is him go back to Europe. Now, I know, I think this was just, they were just bluffing about him doing that, Pugliarvi and his agent, I don't really, yep. and, and, and Holland has called that bluff. But mm-hmm. it's actually, I think, in a lot of ways, the best thing for the player. He goes there, Bruce, he gets his, his health back together again he gets his confidence back together he's apparently desperate ken hitchcock said he was unhappy not playing on one of the top two lines well if he wants that he's not going to probably get that on the Oilers. he's not going to get that on um another team i don't think if he wants to have that opportunity he should go to europe get that opportunity top power play top line see what he does get his get everything back together again then that puts him in a much better negotiating position and the Oilers 
he's a year older, he's a year wiser. And a year at that age is a lot. A lot happens to a young person in a year. And um, that's what I would like to see. I want him to go back to Europe and, and play a year of hockey. I think that would be best for him. Doesn't help the Oilers in 2019-20. Uh, so that in some ways that's my least choice just because I'd rather either have the player back and playing up to his potential, that would be number one, uh, or get something for him that can help team in the, in the short run. But it has to be something that can actually help, not just some kind of placeholder. They got placeholders. And I think um, uh, Holland called uh, the Pugliarvi camps as like Leto's agent. Marcus Leto. Uh, yeah, called their bluff the day he signed Josh Archibald. Apparently, yeah. I just got a right winger for a million dollars who scored more, did more things than your guy did last year. And time for you to step up to the negotiation plate one way or the other. Well, I think that was essentially Holland moving on from the player. In a, in a sense, yeah, he covered he covered it off. It's not like he's leaving this big gaping hole saying, Jesse, we need you, we need you here. So so if he... if it's you know in some ways it's let's pull your ups his game it's hard for him to make the oilers next year right, on a certain level so there's all that as i we just went through all that competition he's in that mix but but they can't send him to the minors in edmonton bruce so what no. do you do with him if he loses a job then then you then it's just trade him. him on waivers right or you, you i guess you trade him then so the best so yeah again i like i like that idea going to europe mm-hmm. uh, but i do think there can be a trade be, just because of the cap situation. I'd, otherwise, there wouldn't be a trade, I don't think, right now, for a player at all that would work for Edmonton. You'd think, oh, geez, we're not getting good value. Go to Europe, man. Like, see if you can raise your value. But because of the, the cap situation that so many teams are in, I, I do see the possibility that uh, he could be moved. Hey, go to, I guess, go to Vegas, eh, so uh, we can get Gusev. How does that sound? Yeah. Sounds pretty good to me. I like Gusev a lot. <laughs> I don't know the player. But uh, he's I watch world championships every year, and the guy's a killer. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Right shot, left wing. He's a, a more playmaker, but he's just deadly in tight. All right. Let me just check Twitter, Bruce. Maybe, maybe, maybe in the time that we've been gabbing, um, uh-huh. there's been a trade. What do you think? What are the chances of that? Uh, about 1%. That high? <laughs> well, every once in a while, something comes out of the blue, like they trade. They do nothing all week, and then they trade Milan Lucic at 4 o'clock on Friday afternoon, you know. <laughs> Has the mood of Oilers fans ever picked up this week? The general happiness of Oilers fans. It's just uh, people are so relieved, I think, on, for all the reasons we've already mentioned on the podcast yeah. today. Uh, they are so relieved. It just feels like a turning of the page from the Shirelli era, yeah. right? Yes, yes. Uh, it? Uh, yes. Turn the page. This is the Ken Holland era now. It just mm-hmm. feels... And, and Holland was being judged harshly mm-hmm. by Oilers fans uh, before this trade was made. But suddenly he's like A1 Ken Holland, like everyone's singing his praises. So <laughs> good for Ken Holland. Let's, and once we get a half year of James Neal, we might uh, reconsider. Yeah, that. well, yeah, all the things they were saying about James Neal. If we got the guy that played in Calgary last year, it'll just be a, a transference. Uh, I think the best thing about this trade from the play, two players' perspective is that for both of them, lowered expectations. Instead of being held to this, well, we signed the guy for $6 million and he's not performing as now. Well, we got rid of that guy and this is how we're kind of cleaning up the mess and we don't expect as much from this guy and anything we get out of him will be a bonus, yada, yada. And I think they'll be saying that in Calgary and they'll be saying that in Edmonton. Um, 
So it just kind of lowers the temperature for those guys from the original market where they sign with the big market and the our big money and the big expectations. That said, Bruce, if he does perform at a Patrick O'Sullivan kind of level, um, it won't take long. But he can be bought out, you know. Right. And the uh, only been one year of that. <laughs> and the. Uh, you know, much was made of the fact that he had been, you know, he's training with Gary Roberts this summer. When I first heard that, I thought, oh, wow, like he's turned, he's like finally gotten serious, like maybe Neil's finally. But then I read like he's been training with James Neal or James Neal has been training with Gary Roberts, like the fitness guru mm-hmm. uh, in Toronto for forever. Like I think he, since he was almost a, a teenage hockey player. Now he does have more time this summer to get uh, back in shape. Yeah, I think, I'm not sure what happened in 2018, like whether he missed time there or, like they said, he came to Calgary out of shape, and that doesn't square with him having spent time in Robert's camp, but I haven't been able to find any reference to it. It could just be, you know, two late springs in a row going to play in the Stanley Cup Finals into mid-June and having to be ready for training camp in uh, mid-September. Is, you know, it's a long season and a short summer, and those that's a double whammy, really. You know, like you take more taken out of you and less time to get it back two years in a row. So it's a quadruple whammy, and the guy in his 30s, it's going to take a toll. Now we'll see if a full summer. I mean, he had a short playoffs in Calgary, now didn't he? And uh, <laughs> so he's had lots of time to recover. <laughs> yeah, he was golfing with the rest of those flames after the orders hit the links. And you know, he, he does. You know, the whole McDavid angle. He trains with Connor McDavid. He's trained with Connor McDavid since McDavid was a, a teenage. You know, That's like great. Teenage I like boy. that. And that's that's kind of cool too. You know, those kinds of connections are important on a hockey team. And, and well, after Shirelli actively traded away McDavid's friends to bring in the guys that he called classless, it's got to feel pretty good to McDavid to have uh, uh, a GM bringing in somebody that he knows and likes, uh, apparently. So, and I think a lot part of this this deal was Holland's NHL connections, like just the fact that he knows Tree Living and like their friends, apparently, and they. You know, I think these the NHL is a very chummy, clubby league, and Holland's as he's got to be as connected as anybody, right? And he, he seems like a very affable, um, outgoing person. So, and this... I remember Glenn Sather's best friend uh, Lou Nanny. How many trades did those two guys pull off with one another? Uh, well, I'm just trying to think of one. Was, he was with Minnesota, Lou Nanny. Yeah, yeah, that was the. the did they pull off trades? The Nielsen trade. Oh yeah, there was a few of them. <clears throat> Even right when they came into the league, they were making trades. And uh, there's a list I'd have to kind of remember specifically. But uh, and a lot with Harry Sinden in Boston, McCavish, Ranford. Anyway, we're we're getting we're going way back now. We're just boring everybody who's who was who wasn't born 150 years ago like we were. (laughs) All right, thanks for talking, Bruce. All right, thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.